Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Buker and Friends podcast. Here is your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buker. Rick Buker. Welcome to another episode of Buker Friendless, subsidiary of Buker and Friends and part of the United WeCast Network. I'm Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1, read me on Bleach Report. And follow me on Twitter at Rick Buker and on Instagram at Rick underscore Buker. Three topics for this podcast. What to make of the Warriors and the Lakers after their first preseason game, which I attended. And what not to make of them because it was only the first preseason game. And why the new Chase Center is perfectly built to create a cozy home court advantage, but also has some elements that could make it a graveyard. That's one topic. The second is the international ruckus created by Houston Rockets GM Daryl Morey tweeting about China's oppression of Hong Kong. And the third is Jimmy Butler working out at 3.30 a.m. 3.30 a.m., excuse me, and what to make of that. Oh, and we're not going to do them in order. Now, my general sense is that most sports fans watch sports to escape from politics and therefore don't want them discussed by writers or sports show hosts or on podcasts. I'm more than happy to honor that. I don't want to talk about whether or not Maury was right in taking a political stand or whether or not his political stand is the right one. All I'll say is he has the right to give his opinion, and Rockets owner Tillman Fertitta has the right to fire him if he thinks expressing that opinion is costing him money. And again, I, I hope that this, I hope you're not looking at this as, as a political conversation. It has to do with the business of sports, for sure. But this is really, I don't know. Let, let's get into it. If you decide this is not your cup of tea, you just want to hear about the Lakers and the Warriors and what the anticipation is for them, we'll get to that. We'll get to Jimmy Butler. But I, this, is, this is a big issue. And, and I say that, first of all, Social media can't can't possibly address it. I've seen people try. I believe Daryl Morey tried. It's way too big of an issue. And dealing with the repercussions of what happened to Daryl Morey or the NBA's reaction, which is still ongoing. We're as I record this, we're still waiting to hear what LeBron James has to say and any number of other NBA people. In fact, we're still waiting for Adam Silver, uh, the commissioner, to make a statement. We'll get into that. A podcast, even with the, the length 
and breadth that we can get into something on a podcast. This is these are the kind of subjects that are ongoing and take hours upon hours to delve into. I don't know that we'll ever get to an answer, but they're certainly too complex to <laughs> they're certainly too complex for 140 or even 280 characters. So I just feel is this and the reaction to this, the thinking about this gives us a chance to look at the NBA in a different way. And again, not trying to be political. I'm not trying to take a stand. Uh, I'm looking more at the business of sports in the world today and how the NBA, because of where it stands and its relationship and its global impact, there are pluses and minuses to where the NBA is right now. This quite clearly is one of the minuses. Now, in reading reactions from reporters outside of sports, and again, on social media for the most part, as well as from a few sports writers and a few friends who are in and around the NBA, I got the impression that they thought the NBA was cracking the whip on Maury or somehow endorsing actions, China's actions in Hong Kong by not outright standing up for him. Now, for those who missed it, the Rockets just played a game in Shanghai uh, against the Chinese Basketball Association Sharks, who at one time were owned by uh, Yao Ming, uh, former Houston Rockets star. A lot of the business relationships that the Rockets have were established because Yao Ming was a star for them, gave them great inroads, and they became uh, the most popular team in, in China, far and away, have been. All that out the door, apparently, because Daryl Morey, the GM, tweeted out, fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong. And uh, as a result, Tencent, a number of Chinese companies, and supposedly millions upon millions of Chinese basketball fans took exception to that, were offended, and if you want to more, know more why, or at least an explanation why, Joe Tsai, the new, uh, the new owner of the Brooklyn Nets, uh, Chinese businessman, made much of his money over in the People's Republic of China. And uh, you'll, you'll, you'll find out a little bit more about why that was offensive uh, to the Chinese, according to Joe. Now, here is the statement by the NBA that apparently a lot of people feel was not supportive enough of Daryl Morey. The NBA statement, we recognize that the views expressed by Houston Rockets general manager Daryl Morey have offended so many of our friends and fans in China, which is regrettable. While Daryl has made it clear that his tweet does not represent the Rockets or the NBA, the values of the league support individuals educating themselves and sharing their views on matters important to them. We have great respect for the history and culture of China and hope that sports and the NBA can be used as a unifying force to bridge cultural divides and bring people together. That supposedly took Daryl Morey to task. Now, there's also a story out there that the Mandarin version of the release was much, much harsher and critical, that the two actually don't match up. I know that there are nuances between the two languages that make it difficult to have direct translations of anything. Uh, I'm going to leave that alone. I just know that that's, that's a possibility. I don't know that that was the motivation or that's the result, uh, the reason why the two 
statements allegedly don't match up. But I'm I'm I am perplexed at anybody who thinks that somehow the NBA left Daryl Morey in the lurch here by that statement. That statement to me, quite honestly, is pretty much a nothing burger. It's basically saying, hey, there are going to be disagreements in the world. And China has its views and we have our fans in China and we have friends in China and uh, and they may be offended by what Daryl Morey said. And that's, uh, we're sorry to hear that. But in no way do I see them looking at this and saying, Daryl, you were wrong for putting that out there. They're not saying that. They're basically saying, hey, we've supported the idea that uh, people in the NBA have the right to make political statements, whether you agree with that or not. And the NBA is unique in that regard. NFL has kind of made it clear they don't like make people making political statements. Major League Baseball, I don't even know anybody's tried to make a political statement. But here's what's really interesting is that that statement didn't even come from Commissioner Adam Silver. It came from Mike Bass, Executive Vice President and Chief Communications Officer, who I know very well. I can't tell you the last time, other than a fine or suspension, that a that a statement for the league came out from the lower rungs. And Mike is very close to Adam, handles the majority of his business. If you if you want to get anything done with Adam, you have to go through Mike. That they would have this statement come from him is 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 just fascinating. I mean, it's it's cover essentially. As I see it, the NBA isn't a pick isn't picking a side because they know that there is no right answer. Maury made the mistake, and and let's be clear, it was a mistake. Maury made the mistake, as happened so often, in trying to address a complex issue on social media and did not think through the unique relationship that the Rockets have with China as a result of nothing that Daryl did, but everything that Yao Ming did, Carol Dawson, the GM, and drafting him, how Yao Ming forged that, and it it's... I just don't know that he really took into account what the reaction to that social tweet, what that social media tweet uh, would be, that social media statement. This is also what I know. Having visited East Germany before the wall came down, having spent considerable time in China writing a book with Yao Ming, not everybody in the world thinks as we do here in the United States or believes we're the greatest country in the world or that our system is the greatest system in the world. This may come as a shock to some because it came as a shock to me. I always wondered when it came to the wall in uh, surrounding East Berlin, how is it that if, if this entire East German country or the, the people in East Berlin, if if they 
if they wanted out, if they were uh, just were oppressed and uh, and 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 wanted freedom, I, I just couldn't see how a wall would be able to stop them. And certainly, people escape here and there. But and it wasn't until I met with some people in East Germany and they explained it. They said people in East Germany don't see the wall as being there to keep them in. They see the wall as being there to keep the Western world out, that the Western world and capitalism and our, our principles and the way we live our lives, they see that as poisonous. They see that as unhealthy. Now, have given the opportunity, they would all run to the Western world. They would, they would acquire all the goods that they can't get in the communist bloc. And then they'd go back to living where they live because they believe in those principles. The same from my conversations with Yao and uh, the people over there that I interviewed and just talked to uh, on my visits over there. Uh, they see it the same way. The Chinese view our morals in a in a very similar way. The average Chinese person doesn't yearn for our way of life. They yearn for the conveniences we have. Now, trust me, I'm not speaking for all Chinese. Those are my impressions from the literature I read, uh, which I read to prepare to, to write my book with Yao, uh, talking to the variety of people in China during my trips there, long conversations with Yao about understanding Chinese culture because I wanted to understand what he was navigating coming from there, coming over here. He didn't want to turn his back on that. He didn't want to insult anybody. Um, he had to navigate playing in America and not embarrassing his countrymen or insulting anyone in America. And he wanted to make sure that he did both. Now, is Rocket's owner, Tomer Fertitta, worried about all the money he'll lose being shut out of the Chinese market? <laughs> you bet he is. Is the NBA worried about it? You bet they are. It's an immense amount of money. That's why the fact that it, the NBA didn't outright condemn Maury or Tillman didn't outright fire him or punish him in any extreme way is an extraordinary statement by them. They are, after all, a business. First and foremost, they don't have any responsibility to keep Maury employed if his political beliefs are impacting their bottom line. It would be terrific if they did, but they're under no moral obligation to do it, and I don't expect that. I don't look to the NBA or any sports organization to defend human rights. Nations? Sure. Governments? Yes. But sports leagues? And this is what I find the most hypocritical about all anyone, anyone who's saying, oh, I can't, the NBA, how embarrassing it is. What they, Their response was pathetic. They didn't stand up for democracy. Criticizing the NBA for any perceived lack of support for Maury, while never having questioned that the NBA or the Rockets were in business with the Chinese in the first place, what, it took this for you to say, hey, we got issues with the way China is handling Hong Kong. If you had an issue with that, then you should have had an issue with the NBA and every other U.S.-based organization with business ties to China well before Maury's tweet. Do you have an iPhone? Do you use Apple? 
I could go down the line of uh, appliances and goods and products that are made in China that benefit from the system that China has and relationships with China. You're going to take issue with them now because of Daryl Morey's tweet and the perceived reaction to that. It's, uh, look, getting up in arms about the NBA's response to a tweet is the laziest faux demonstration of standing up for human rights or social freedom or whatever it is that is inspiring people to jump up and defend Daryl Morey. Also understand this. If the NBA didn't have these issues back in the day, it's because the NBA wasn't big enough to have them. It didn't have globally recognized athletes, for the most part. Michael Jordan was probably the first. It didn't have deep business ties in countries that aren't democratic. It didn't have billionaire owners whose wealth was generated from global enterprises or largely in other countries. NBA was mom and pop. It was primarily, almost exclusively, U.S.-based. And which is why this won't be the last time they run into an international incident like this. And they are unique. Their global reach, their global involvement, it's, it's, as I said at the very beginning, it's one of the things that is a huge advantage for the NBA is that they're able to get into relationships around the world. The game has that appeal and attraction. NFL doesn't really have to deal with that. <laughs> they're in London. <laughs> Mexico City. Like they're in places where it's manageable. NBA's on a, on a on a whole different level when it comes to that. But this is the flip side of that, which is why this won't be the last time they run into an international incident. Wait until they expand into India if that indeed happens. It's actually kind of amazing that they had Mikhail Prokhorov as an owner and didn't end up in any difficult situations. Now, as for the solution here, the only out I can see is Maury takes a self-imposed leave of absence. And I don't even know if that will work, but perhaps, perhaps that quells the unrest, the unhappiness in China. Look, there's some, there's some advantages for China to be in, involved in this relationship too. But that Maury kind of punishing himself really is the only way out because Adam Silver having to impose a double standard, which would mean he punishes Maury for doing what Greg Popovich and Steve Kerr and LeBron James have freely done, which is express their opinions on matters outside of basketball. I just don't know. I don't know how Adam can do that. So, uh, and now we're talking about image shaping and spin doctoring. And well, that's, that to me is where that's politics. That's political maneuvering. And so we'll leave that alone. What's painfully amazing, just as the last thing on this subject, is that James Harden, taking no heed for what we just saw occur, blurts out a we love China message that wasn't any more thought out or honestly necessary than Maury's. What was the point? Was he protecting his shoe money? Letting the Rockets owner, he had his back? Throwing Maury under the proverbial bus? Who knows? That's the problem, 
again, with using social media to address such topics or issues. You can't possibly do them justice. I'm, I'm not doing it, just, doing it justice in this podcast, but I got a hell of a lot more uh, than 140 characters to take a stab at it. And I'm leaving the conversation open. Again, I'm not taking a stand on China or the U.S. or any of that. But the potential for... If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Being misunderstood or looking naive or misinformed or just plain ignorant is incredibly high when you take an issue this complex and you think that you can write a sentence or two and fully do it justice. And here's the thing. For what? Do you really think some tweet is going to change the world topple a regime, set somebody free? If so, you consider Twitter far more powerful than I do, or Instagram, or any of them. Or than have been certifiably proven. Again, I know people will get into the impact that Facebook has had. That's There's a lot more going on there. And no, I don't think that tweets, even by bots, yeah, are they influencing people's viewpoints? Sure in some way. What's the, what's the byproduct of that? Do you think that our current political situation is a result of the bots out of Russia? I'm not so sure about that. Not so sure. So, uh, has, has social media statements on social media, have they had some overarching huge effect on the world? made it a better place. I'm, I, I can't think of one unless I'm missing something. And feel free to shoot me an example of how a tweet changed the world and I will stand corrected. Happily so. Uh, before we move on to more typical subject matter for this podcast, I want to say a word about our friends at the Republic Jet Center in Farmingdale, New York. There is a reason you choose to fly privately into the New York metro area for those who do. And that's to avoid delays. You want the convenience. When flying to New York City, Republic Jet Center in Farmingdale should be your only choice. Don't get caught up in delays flying into Teterboro or White Plains. I know those are the popular uh, options and and have been. And as a result of that, they've kind of lost the value of flying private. Try out Republic Jet Center and you'll experience all the reasons why you chose to fly privately in the first place. Not only can you 
land and take off on time, but getting to the city is as quick as a 12-minute helicopter ride, which their white glove concierge service will gladly arrange from their brand new 100,000 square foot facility with an array of snacks, beverages, flat screens, whatever you need, it'll be, you'll be able to chill and do it in comfort. If you've never flown private, find out what it's all about. It may, it may just be something you want to do. Uh, you can do that by visiting www.republicjetcenter.com. And for those who already are part of the private jet set, Mention this ad and RJC will provide a discount on your refueling cost. So, Lakers smashed the Warriors in the first NBA game played at the Warriors' new arena, the Chase Center. I did a couple laps. I I essentially went to the game more than anything to get a feel for the building, what my protocol is going to be because I live in the Bay Area, in going to games, just how much time it takes me to get various places, what the parking situation is like. Lay of, lay of the building and and how how things are going to go once uh, once they start playing and again some of it brand new building everybody in it working not everybody knew where everything was it's a great building I love the way they constructed it they made it so that it will be intimate they made it so that even the seats in the top row are closer quite honestly certainly quite quite closer than some of the other newer buildings that I've seen and uh, and good on them for that. Didn't put a whole lot of uh, floors of luxury suites, which would push those top rows even farther up and farther away. It's, it has a, it has a nice feel to it. It has uh, somewhat of the, uh, the Utah jazz arenas feel and because they keep changing uh, sponsors, sponsor names. I'm calling it the Utah Jazz Arena. Vivint, I think, is what what it's called now. I could be wrong on that. Anyway, the uh, I used to I, when I worked for the San Jose Mercury News, we weren't allowed to use those sponsor names. We always had to call it Candlestick Park forever, even after it was being called other things. In any event, um, the so the good thing is that uh, the ability to have the crowd and and make it intimate and to make it feel uh, feel very close and cozy uh, and creating a home court advantage uh, from that is uh, is good on them. Apparently, you can't. It's it's built only for basketball. Like you can't play hockey in there, uh, and that's why they were able to make it as intimate as they could. The flip side is in. I was trying to find my way out of the building afterward, and so I did a full lap and a half in finding my way back out is that they have all these private doors to all these, not even suites, but just areas from what I can stand. You you just, you walk and there's one door after another that allows you to these private, uh, private areas. And that to me is going to create a sense of uh, separatism, if you will, like, the haves are going to have their own little space, their own way to get in. Parking is going to be uh, exclusively for uh, the people who have the big Silicon Valley money. Let's be just direct about it. And I wonder how that vibe is going to impact the overall sense. Because with Oakland, uh, with the arena in Oakland, it was everybody came in 
together. Yeah, there was certain entrance at some point veered off and, uh, you know, the, the VIPs had their own way, but this is really caters to the VIA, uh, VIPs, separating them from the, the general throng. And I just know in going to, again, going to uh, watch Giants games when they first uh, made it into the World Series, part of the experience was everybody coming in to the building together. And I just feel as if not, and, and everybody being in the building together, not a whole lot of separation. I just feel as if this is not going to be that. And I wonder how that's going to counter the, uh, the atmosphere that they're hoping that the intimacy of it will create. Now, the other part is Warriors are not going to be very good. They're just not. All this talk about them still contending or they're going to be a force. I know what Draymond Green has said. I respect him. Uh, talk to Steph Curry about his role, their, their expectation of where this team can go, the culture that they've created. I get it. I get all of it. They're not very good. Uh, look, yes, this was an exhibition. Yes, it was the first exhibition. But there are certain very real takeaways from what I witnessed. Number one, the Warriors are not a very talented team. There's Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and then, yeah. D'Angelo Russell is a nice player. But Rajon Rondo got wherever he wanted on the floor, and the next time D'Lo gets in a defensive stance or fights over a screen, let's just say I didn't see it Saturday night. And granted, it was an exhibition. Not everybody was playing hard. Steve Kerr also noted something, though, that really jumped out at me. He said after the game, that Russell is a guy who doesn't play a lot of pickup in the summer and uses training camp to work his way into shape, which I, well, that caught my attention. Said it in passing. I didn't see any other heads pick up. Mine certainly did. For those who may not know, D'Angelo Russell is 23 years old. He averaged 30 minutes a game last season. He played in five playoff games, which he played... He averaged less than 30 minutes. He just signed a max deal. He's being looked at as a vital third wheel for a team that went to the finals five years in a row. It's one thing for Draymond Green to take training camp after five consecutive runs to the finals. Take training camp to get in shape. Steph Curry not playing hard. It's an entirely different thing for D'Angelo Russell at 23 joining this team, having to take the huge leap in responsibility and role that the Warriors are hoping he will take to work his way into shape in training camp. As for the Lakers, the combo of LeBron and AD is indeed going to be fun to watch. More so than, you know, the, the whatever LeBron was saying about playing through AD, they're going to play through LeBron. How LeBron utilizes AD is going to be a lot of fun. I, I can't, the last time he had a player of that magnitude and ability, I don't know that he's ever had one. Not that size and, and length and, uh, and athleticism. It's going to be really interesting. But let's slow our roll just a bit on anointing them the team to beat or, the, or that they, AD and LeBron are the greatest duo ever just yet, especially 
you know, based on what they did against the Warriors, AD was being guarded by Alfonso McKinney when he had those three dunks on three consecutive possessions. If this had been a playoff game, I also imagine Draymond Green, who matched up with AD at the start, would have been more committed to keeping AD off the boards. And lest we forget, the Warriors were without Kevon Looney and Willie Cauley-Stein. LeBron and AD didn't have to do anything special to completely dominate the first quarter. They didn't. They weren't playing hard. They mostly played volleyball at the rim. LeBron drove into the paint. He was either flipping it up there or flipping it to AD. They just they had size, and they took advantage of it. And I got the sense that maybe both of them, having been punished by the Warriors more than a few times in the last few years, took a little satisfaction in clowning them. They weren't. They approached it a little bit more than just an exhibition game. And Steph and Draymond, while no doubt less than thrilled with the beatdown, also fully were willing to trade a lopsided preseason loss for all the times they vanquished LeBron or AD in the playoffs. They weren't going to get insulted or fight back in a meaningful way because they were getting drubbed in this exhibition game. They know where they are. They know what they've done. If LeBron and AD wanted to get a little satisfaction, they were going to they were going to let them have it. They might not be happy about it, but it wasn't worth trying to go to the wall to to stop. Now, the fact that I pointed out the Warriors didn't have Kevon Looney and Willie Cauley-Stein as reasons to downplay the smackdown by the Lakers also, also tells you where the Warriors are. The potential, just as an example, for the Pelicans this year is, to borrow Warriors owner Joe Lacob's phrase, light years ahead of the Warriors. The Pels actually remind me of the Warriors when they started this run back in 2013. That was before Steph and Clay and Dre had done anything. The Pelicans have a terrific blend. Not just talent, but players eager to prove themselves for one reason or another. We know the guys that came over from the Lakers and why. Zion, no question. Jackson Hayes, no question. Drew Holiday, no question. The guys that were there when AD was there had the opportunity to prove, hey, we, we weren't just AD. Guys that were with LeBron and got traded, hey, we're better than what we were made out to be in, in L.A. And Zion, number one pick. Jackson Hayes even looks like he's got something to prove. Uh, Mikel Alexander, Walker Alexander, same, same deal. So uh, the only question I have is who fills the Draymond Green role? Now I wonder if Jackson Hayes can he got some fire to him. Not, not in the same way as Draymond, but just watching him in summer league, he's, he's way more talkative and effusive emotionally than I expected him to be. Uh, Drew Holiday has Steph's low-key personality. Lonzo, Brandon Ingram, Zion, none of them strike me as fiery the way Draymond was right from the start. Even as a rookie, I was there firsthand, saw it. So we'll, we'll see. Um, the element I'll be curious to watch among many things with the Lakers is their locker room. I popped in for just a couple minutes after the game, but man, they have a lot of personalities that require maintenance. LeBron, AD, Dwight Howard. It's just uh, JaVale McGee. 
And then the personalities that don't require it are, are really kind of quiet. Danny Green was holding forth uh, when, when I walked in. And certainly that was helpful. And that's the other thing. Danny Green, wide open shots, left and right. Wasn't making them at a better clip than he did when he was in Toronto, where people began to question had he fallen off. I like Danny Green. I think he's a good dude. I don't know what he has left. And I talked to him a little bit about where he is physically. And he is, he is challenged in some ways, just time in the league, et cetera. So uh, last thing, and we'll make this fairly quick. Are we really that starved for content or that naive that we think a guy showing up at the gym at 3.30 in the morning is proof of anything? I'm talking, of course, about Jimmy Butler down in Miami. Uh, showing up uh, and story getting out that uh, he arrived for practice, which was what starting at 10. He got to the building at 3.30 a.m. Now, proof proof of what? Other than someone, Butler or perhaps his publicist, is working hard to polish his image because let's face it, it wasn't that good coming out of Minnesota or Philadelphia or Chicago. So, uh, look, I don't see it as proof of anything other than Butler got up in the middle of the night or stayed up and decided to head to the heat practice facility. No one should ever doubt Jimmy Butler's work ethic. I, I didn't think that was something that needed to be proved. Buzz Williams, who coached him at Marquette, Tom Thibodeau coached him with the Bulls. They will vouch for his work ethic. And you have those two guys praising your work ethic. You don't need anything else because those are two of the toughest coaches that I've ever seen work or had a conversation with. You also don't need to report to the building at 3.30 in the morning or make sure it gets out that you reported to the building at 3.30 in the morning to prove that you have a work ethic, because it doesn't. And is he doing that every day? Do we have proof of that? I just, it seems kind of silly. In fact, it seems a little crazy. You're going to spend six and a half hours on your own deal. And then you're going to be ready, fully focused for practice for your, with your teammates, developing chemistry, bond, etc. I could make the case it's as much separating you from your teammates as, as anything else. Uh, so, all right. That does it for this episode. Hope that uh, the conversation about the Rockets and Daryl Morey and all that, I mean, this is going to continue You'll see me, no doubt, talking about it on FS1. Don't think I'm going to be writing about it on Bleacher Report, but who knows. Just want to give you kind of my experience of the world and China to weigh in on, on all of this. And maybe I'm being cynical in saying, look, the NBA is a business. And if you have issues with their political stance or any of that, then waiting until Daryl Morey put out a tweet to, to get outraged uh, seems convenient. And what are you really accomplishing? All right, enough of that. Uh, in the next podcast, I'll be joined by NFL vet, Super Bowl champ, Will Blackman. And what I'm looking forward to discussing with him in particular are the running backs, Aaron Jones and Marlon Mack, to name two from this past weekend, who appear to be adopting Le'Veon Bell's I'm going to use KD's phrase of the pull-up hezzy approach, but basically being very methodical in approaching the line 
and probing and finding the hole that they're going to, they're, they're going to hit. I, I, I just seemed like the, the methodology was you find that gap and you hit it as quick as quickly as you can. And Le'Veon Bell was the one who changed that dynamic. I wonder if it's a result of the rule changes or what we'll discuss that with will in the next podcast along with a number of other things nfl related for sure all right uh for those of you who want to rate the show please do love to hear from you love to get your opinion uh i don't care how many stars you give us well love it if you give us five but if not rate and review the show and if you want us to do something for you Send us a, a screenshot of that review to at you for friends and you will be eligible to win some prizes. All right, that does it. As always, thanks for listening. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.